This is penthouse thinking, penthouse thinking. Open up the door, now you're on the top floor. This is penthouse thinking, penthouse thinking. Open up your mind and get on the grind. Welcome to Penthouse Thinking, a podcast about how to live, work, and play on a whole new level. Each week, we deliver the best interviews on how to elevate your thinking and motivate you to take action. Now, here's your host, Bambi Weevil. Welcome to Penthouse Thinking. My name is Bambi Weevil, and I'm so excited you have joined me on this amazing journey together. My very first guest is Liz Dederer. She is the founder and CEO of Selling with Service, which is a business consulting company with a concentration on sales training designed to support women in emerging and established small businesses. I hope you learn a lot from this interview. And without further ado. It's great to have you, Liz. Thanks for being our first guest at Penthouse Thinking. Where are you at in the world today? Today, I am in Florida, and I'm loving it. Very cool. And you're from Connecticut, correct? I am from Connecticut. I'm in Florida uh, visiting my parents. Uh, my daughter had some time off from school, so we uh, we decided to come down here, and I am completely sunburned, so I'm glad that we're not doing video. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beautiful thing about being your own boss and entrepreneur, that you're able to be flexible in your schedule and travel when you're able to, and it's such a blessing for that. Um, describe your journey as an entrepreneur for our audience and our friends. Yeah, so it's um, <laughs> it's like what what part of the journey? Where do I start? So I mean, early, early, early in the days, um, it, it started. God, it started when I was like eighteen, nineteen, um, not even knowing the word entrepreneur, and I still don't know how to spell it. But not even knowing like anything about what that was, I was a personal shopper at Saks Avenue, personal shopper's assistant at, at Saks Avenue, and I left there because all that I knew was like retail or office jobs. I left there because I was like, man, this isn't going to take me anywhere as a career. So let me go get an office job. But as soon as I got that, you know, office job, I hated it. And I really missed playing with clothes. So I went back to my clients that I was serving as a personal shopper and started cleaning out. I said, hey, you know, there's this thing called eBay that's just starting and I can sell your clothes. I can come take the clothes out of your closet that you don't want because what they valued more was the closet space so they could buy next season's clothes. So let me come clean out the clothes from your closet. I'll sell them on this thing called eBay. I'll give you the money, you know, split it. And um, that was my very, very first business, like 18, 19. And I didn't know what I didn't know and, you know, started to kind of grow that, you know, behind the scenes. And it took off. I mean, at one point I had like three storage units full of clothes that I was selling. And this is back when eBay was just starting before like selling online was a cool thing. Um, You had to like code your pages. So there I am sitting there with like, you know, HTML for dummies, a Gucci bag, and my gateway computer, like I can figure this out. And I did, and I did well. And it, it never got to full-time anything because um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, you know, the narrative that I was hearing from those around me was, you know, get a good job with good benefits. So I was doing that, but I always had this kind of like passion project alongside. And um, that was really important, even though never made a ton of money, never grew it into anything. I did have some conversations with investors um, because people saw that this was very timely. I couldn't see it, but we can look back now and be like, oh, that sounds like ThreadUp. That sounds like Poshmark. That sounds like all these different things. And um, I had this idea for this bigger business and started telling people. They introduced me to investors. The investors loved it, but honestly, it terrified me. The thought of, you know, someone investing in me multiple hundreds or millions of dollars. Like it just, it was terrifying. So never moved forward with it, lived kind of some regret around like, oh, ThreadUp could have been mine, wasn't mine to have. So 
come to peace with that. And then down the road, you know, once the career kind of takes off and I'm growing, um, you know, professionally, the recession comes along and it's like, just kidding. <laughs> All of that is going to go out the window. And that's when I went back to, um, I called it finest consignments. I went back to finest consignments and started to kind of revive that. Um, it didn't, didn't really make sense. And then went back to the professional career and I was like, all right, let me just do the steady Eddie thing. And then it was at what is now my last corporate job. Three weeks into it, I found out I was pregnant. And it just was like this culmination of everything where I said, you know what, I can either keep going down the corporate road and, uh, you know, start a business when the baby turns 18, or I can do it now. Like that was the the window that I gave myself. So I joke that I, you know, took an EPT and then took out an LLC. And that was the business. My daughter's now eight. That was the business I started nine, almost 10 years ago that got me, you know, onto this version of my entrepreneurial path. But it's interesting because I now run a sales training company. And if you had told me that even, you know, nine years ago, I would have been like, absolutely not. That's not at all on my, I'm not a salesperson. It's not what I do. But that first iteration of, of the consignment business and playing with HTML for dummies, when I found out I was pregnant and when I had that conversation with myself, like, you know, now is when I have to do it. I've got nine months or 18 years to figure out how to start a business. This like franchise type business had kind of come across my radar that was websites. And at the time, nine, 10 years ago in web design land, you know, if you wanted to have a website, which you needed one, um, building a website online now is so easy, like seven-year-olds are doing it, right? But at the time, it was, there's still an element of coding. There was still like this, you know, the web kind of like confusion. And to be a small business owner and have a website, uh, the web designers at the time were just charging an arm and a leg. And I had this innovative solution that really would free the business owner from having a very expensive website, but still would give them something and give them something that was innovative at the time that they could then get in and edit their own website. And I was like, this is a really important solution that's going to solve a lot of problems for small business owners, just an industry I'm, you know, a vertical I'm very passionate about. And I'm not afraid of website because I've already done like the little itty bitty baby coding stuff. So that was the first business that actually got me out of corporate into, you know, my own entrepreneurial journey. And then by listening to my clients and spending more time with my web design clients. And I wish I could say that there was like an overnight moment where it was like, oh, this is when the sales training really came up. But I'm a slow learner. <laughs> um, but I did listen to my clients. I did look at the data. I did look at the numbers. And it made a lot more sense for me to pivot away from web design and really just get into business consulting, training, and ultimately, uh, you know, sales, sales coaching and consulting. And that's kind of the long-winded version. But I wanted to share that because I think that people think like, I'm going to have a business. This is going to be it. This is going to be the thing. And I was never necessarily committed to the vehicle. And even now I'm in a transition of kind of shifting the business model that I'm currently in. I think it's really important as you look at, you know, entrepreneurialism that what are you committed to? Are you committed to that business being the thing or are you committed to some, you know, to being an entrepreneur and trying? Because ultimately what being an entrepreneur is, is it's trying different things until one day something sticks. But knowing how to listen and when to pivot and when to shift because the market's going to change. And if you're committed, if I was still committed to having a web design business when things like Wix are popping up, like I'd be out of business you know, and I'd be just mad about it. I wouldn't be able to pivot and shift. So I think it's important to kind of, you know, if you're going to commit to 
the fun journey, the, you know, living and, and working on your own terms, it's important to look at, you know, understanding how to pivot with the marketplace. Very true and very valuable. I know, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking about like, you know, my own entrepreneur journey, and then you sort of go through this instinct, and then you're facing your fears at the same time. And there really isn't an instruction manual, you know, like there's so many books out there that you can read. How did you decide, you know, like, to follow your instincts and your, were you working with a mentor or were there anything that you were tapping into to get you through the questions that you had? No, I never, um, I've hired different coaches along the way, you know, basically more to learn like a specific thing or to tap into them, particularly like, you know, reading a book really up close is kind of how I looked at the different coaches I've worked with over the years. Even my career path, and I say, air, I have air quotes as I say that, like people think of their career path and they're like, well, I'm going to be, man, you know, I'm going to start as associate, then I'm going to go to manager, then I'm going to be regional, then I'm going to be this, like is a little bit more clearly defined. But even that for me was kind of like, no, I don't want to do this. Let me go over here. I've always pivoted. I've always said, no, nah, this, I don't, I've tried it. And I'm going to try this instead. So I've always kind of had that kind of cobbling mentality where I've just inherently always been committed to, I want to do what makes me happy. I want to do where I'm of highest and best use. And if that's in a retail store, then that's in a retail store until it wasn't anymore. And then I went into wholesale. And if it's not in wholesale anymore, and what else is there? I was an executive search. So I've always kind of had a pivot mentality. Um, and I think that that's ultimately underneath it's an entrepreneurial, you know, spirit. But it's, it's, it's less about, you know, in hindsight, it looks and seems so calculated, right? In hindsight, it's like, oh, you started to shift the business away from web design when, you know, the, the new technology was coming on. And certainly I was aware of that, but that wasn't the driving factor. I shifted because it wasn't fun anymore. I didn't enjoy it. And my clients started to say, we really just want your brain. Like your websites are cute, but <laughs> we just want your strategies instead. And I was like, okay, then let's do that. And so I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, it's a progression, like you said, and being prepared to pivot and, and to have an open mind and, and to not get stuck in your ways. Because I mean, I know sometimes yep. as entrepreneurs, we get very attached to what we think is the pathway and we're not going to be deterred. We just think this is where I'm going. But if you're willing to take a second to meditate or whatever the case may be to say, oh, well, there might be another way to this and you might be surprised. And I think that's a good segue to what you're doing now. Um, you've created something that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, excuse me, ma'am, your wage gap is showing. It's amazing yeah. events, this conversational <laughs> event. Um, I just, I, I, can you describe it for our audience? I don't want to, I can't do it justice. How did it come about? Like, you know, where does this come from? I'm sure it was a pivot, you know, to this as well. Yeah, again, it was a pivot where uh, I would say for the past four or five years, my business selling with service has been primarily focused on coaching women entrepreneurs to have really uh, healthy, self-sustaining boutique service-based businesses. And um, that has been amazing for me. And I would say about a year ago or so, six months ago, really intensely, I started to realize this, I'm, I'm pivoting and I can kind of feel it when that starts to happen. And I'm like, oh crap, here we go. Here we go again. Here's <laughs> just when I thought it was stable, <laughs> starts to pivot. And it's just like, it, you know, the universe just kind of starts to speak up. And all of a sudden the things that I was doing were working, aren't working anymore. And I'm like, I'm in a pivot. And what I started to realize is I'm not enjoying it. It doesn't light me up. And I started to feel some resentment towards the work that I was doing. Like my day-to-day -day started to feel like work again. And I started to show up at my desk and hating it. And that's when I started to step back. And I've gone through this, you know, pivoting process enough times now to kind of recognize it early and often. 
and to say, okay, this is what is happening. So let's take a step back. Let's look at what are the things I'm doing that I don't like anymore? What What's really bubbling up for me that needs to be birthed next? And what it was, was really looking at, I can continue to work with women entrepreneurs and I can continue to help them and I will to whatever degree makes sense. But there's a bigger issue coming up where women of all walks of life, regardless if they're an entrepreneur or a professional, they are challenged with speaking confidently and competently around and about money. And where that really shows up is in our wage gap. Wage gap is real, so we're not even going to have that conversation. There's enough data, just like climate change is a thing. So we're not even going to have that conversation. It's really, it's looking at saying, yes, there is a system, there's a very big systemic reason why wage gap exists. And I'm one person, I can't change an entire system. Um, what I can do is I can hold, help each of us hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, where is our wage gap showing up? And that's with my personal story with living with a verbally abusive, controlling alcoholic and where I allowed my wage gap to show up in a lot of ways there, where I still allow it to show up in ways in my own life. And it's in working with, you know, as I do corporate sales trainings and working with professionals, women in sales, women executives, women in, you know, all different walks of life, like I said, this relationship with money that we have, women in long but unhealthy relationships, short but unhealthy relationships, where is our collective wage gap showing up? And I started to see it's a much bigger issue than just the women entrepreneurs not charging enough, not going after the the right clients, not having the you know meaningful sales conversations and hiding in their own shadow. It's much bigger than that. And I was given an opportunity to keynote at a university for the second time they invited me back, which was a huge honor. Um, and I was given the opportunity to speak there. And I could have come in to do a different version of my same song and dance of the currency of conversation and women and sales and money. And even you can hear the way I'm explaining it, like it was just like, like I would have bored myself. It would have been great and valuable, you know, but I had reached a point where energetically it wasn't going to light me up. So I was like, I reached out to the woman who was organizing it and I said, can I get a little bit edgy on this one? She goes, I love edgy. What are you thinking? And so I said, I always start with with a title. And that's when a title was born. And I was like, this is what I'm thinking. She's like, love it, do it. And what it's, it breaks down three key points that are provocative intentionally. The first is we do it to ourselves and we do it to each other. And that's, that's the first point about wage gap. The second point is I don't think it's a money issue. I know for a fact it's not a money issue because I know what money is. It's a tool. It's, an, it's evidence, you know, just like weight right? It's obesity is not a weight issue. It's a lifestyle issue. Wage gap is not a money issue. It's a lifestyle. It's a confidence. It's a conversation issue. And the third is uh, really provocative. And I'm not going to get into detail, but I don't think that we really want to close the wage gap. I think that we would have done it by now if we wanted to. So I'm going to leave it at that. And you got to reach out to me to find out more because I am a marketer. <laughs> um, <but laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I got to leave it hanging. But it really was like, I need to shake up the conversation. I need to say disruptive things. I need to get women to think differently around and about money. I wish I could say that I'm sitting here on my millions, you know, like having figured out what the thing is. Like, I just made a really stupid money thing last week where I presented, you know, my invitation to a prospective client. And the first response was from him, you don't charge enough. And I was like, crap, I did it again. 
I did the same, the thing I tell other people not to do. I did it again. And I've been beating myself up for the past week, like all the money that I left on the table with this one conversation. And I was like, learn it, move on, learn it. We all do it all the time, but there's such a quick, like it was as the words were coming out of my mouth. I was like, I'm going too low. And then he, the universe is not going to mess around with you. He directly said to me, you don't charge. He's like, I accept, (laughs) but you don't charge enough. And I was like, I just did that. I just did the thing I tell others not to do, but that's how we grow. That's how we grow. Well, it is a holy shift moment too, because you talk about that as well, because it's like one of those things where uh, it's like getting your knee, you know, like none of us are perfect, especially as women. This is something that we're still getting comfortable with. It's like, putting on a shirt, you know, we know it's sexy, but we still have a reservation about it, you know, like it's kind yep. of a look at it. Um, and it's like, just own your power, own that you are as good as or better than your, you know, com- you know, uh, the other people you're competing with. And sometimes, you know, as women, we're our own worst enemies. So, I mean, what were some of the holy shift moments that you, that you picked up from, you know, the most recent talk you did at the university? I'm sure that light bulbs are going off in the room. Yeah, 100%. And it's always fun to see what other people are going to pick up on. But I want to comment on that own your power thing, because I think it's really important. I think it's, it's a, I know for a fact, it's a very hard thing for women to do. Um, and we always do compare ourselves to others. And we're humans, right? So, so about owning our power and about confidence, I think it's really important not to kind of come at it with this ego masculine energy of like, I'm the best in the world ever at this thing. Cause that's what I think that we think confidence needs to look like. And it's not confidence says I'm the best at this thing that I'm doing for the people that are best to receive it. Like I'm the best at delivering this talk for the women that are into the room to receive it. I'm not the best to talk about wage gap ever right? That's Cheryl Sandberg, in my opinion. I'm not the best to talk about a lot of things ever. I'm not the best to talk about money. I'm not the best to talk, you know, just as a blanket statement, but I'm the best to talk about our relationship with money as it relates to women at this point in time right now, especially for women who have to use their mouth to make their money. I'm the best at talking about the relationship with money for that demographic, for those that enjoy a little sass and crass in a talk. I'm the best at that. There are others that are best at a more refined approach. There are others that are best at talking about what you do with the money. We'll go shopping. That's my, like, don't ask me where to invest. We'll go shopping together. Um, If you want to know (laughs) about the tactical practicals, that's not my conversation. That's not my lane. So I think that owning our power is as much as knowing what we're great at and knowing where that ends and not feeling bad about that. Just saying, that's not my zone. Like, I'm not. I'm not good at that thing. Somebody else is. And it's because we don't have the boundaries around our gifts that we start to become and think that we need to be an extension of a version of ourselves that we're not. And when you're pretending to be good at something you're not, you're not grounded in confidence. You're not rooted in love and trust and authority. You're in pretend energy. And that gets mistaken for this masculine ego, faking it until you're making it nonsense and crap. And it really just comes back to, no, I'm not great at that. I'm not great at that. I'm not great at, I'm not great at a lot of things. And I don't say that to like humble myself. It's fact. There are a lot of things I'm good at. And there's one particular thing, maybe two or three tops that I am the resident. I will throw down that I'm the resident expert on. You want me to make you dinner? Not so much. Cup of coffee? Maybe. Probably even get that wrong in the Keurig. Like there's certain things that are just outside my zone, 
but like I can dress you like a boss. I can get your confidence going 100% and give you some words on how to navigate a sales conversation, hands down for sure, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think it's owning right. that that allows us to own our power. And we get, we get dissuaded from that because we think we need to do all things. We can do all things. And we can also let go and let somebody who's better at that thing come in and do it for us. So the first person I ever hired in my business, now, mind you, I was a personal shopper back in the day. The first person I ever hired in my business, this was when my daughter was, she maybe was toddling around. So she was, she was over a year, maybe between a year and 18 months. I hired a personal shopper. Why would I hire a personal shopper when I was a personal shopper? Well, I noticed, well, I had a mom body and was very uncomfortable with all of this, you know, new weight in different places and everything else. And my old clothes didn't fit. And I realized I had been turning down speaking opportunities because I didn't know what to wear because I'm vain like that, but that's cool. That's part of who I am. And I was like, okay, I have to solve this. So a woman I met through networking, I hired her to come in and I prepared all my clothes. I like laid them out. I had a rolling rack and I was fully expecting her to come in and give me like a gold star and say, girl, you're fabulous. Just put this on and you'll be fine and leave. No, she came in and she was like, these are nice, but they're very outdated. And that was like a dagger to the heart. I like wanted to curl up in the ball and, and cry in the corner. But I was like, no, she is better at this in current fashion. My clothes are from, you know, already five, six, seven years old. And they are outdated. Fashion has changed and it's important to me. So I hired her. I took her feedback in. She was better at current fashion than I was. And I received the feedback I was ready for. And I ended up getting rid of like 90% of my clothes. She gave me a few key things to go out and, and do. But I had to step in to realize that's not my zone anymore. I'm passionate about it, but it's not my zone of expertise. And there's such freedom in releasing that. Right. And it, does, and it changed the course for you and made a difference. You would probably still be stuck at that point from what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And it just, it put me back in my power. And it was such a permission slip to say, I don't have to be great at this at all. I have someone now in my corner who is. And I think, you know, as women, especially, we step into, you know, doers of all things. And that really holds us back from living life on a whole other level is because we're committed to doing all the things instead of really owning what our genius is and making sure all the other things get done. Right. And it's very easy because we live in a multitasking, you know, society. I know I'm very guilty of it to think that, oh, I can, do, like you said, do all things and, and not pass the ball. And I think passing the ball, if you're able to, in, in this point of your career as an entrepreneur, is very valuable. It frees you up to be in your zone, which is what you were, you were basically discussing. Um, I know mm -hmm. we were talking about like toy shift moments, and I I think that's definitely one of them from this podcast. Yeah. But in terms <laughs> in terms of like you know what you've been picking up from women you've been talking to about this talk and and just in general in the last couple of months, like what holy shift moments have you noticed personally and professionally? For me, or that I'm seeing in them. I'm both. Well, I'll start with what I'm seeing in them. So like I said, I, when I did this talk, you know, I was just going to say all the things that need to be said. And then I realized I only have an hour. So there's still like a lot more. I'm sure there's going to be a book that comes out of this too, because there's like a lot of things I want to say. But one of the things I decided to push the envelope and be a little bit provocative on was, um, again, where we're creating our own wage gap. I talk about faking it and not faking it till you're making it, like faking orgasms. And it's really important. Sex and money are the same chakra. 
Um, so there is like, there's a direct correlation there and they're both taboo and you don't talk about them, but like they're both necessary. So I talk about this in, excuse me, ma'am, your wage gap is showing. When we fake it, what we are doing is two things, right? First of all, we don't have the confidence to ask for what we need in the bedroom when we're naked and vulnerable with somebody else who's naked and vulnerable. How are we ever going to possibly ask for what we need in a more buttoned up environment? We're never going to be able to do it if we can't get what we need where we need it most, right? In that sacral chakra. So that's one part of faking it. And then the second part is, and the holy shifts that go off in the room are, I mean, you watched the recording of, of the last talk, but it was, it's significant. And the laughter that ensues, it's like a nervous laughter, but it's like a holy shift, I'm doing that. The second part of, of the faking it where we're creating our own wage gap is don't we get so frustrated and like annoyed when man, men are like mansplaining to us and they're like taking credit for things they didn't do? I wonder wherever they're getting that idea. We're gassing them up. We're doing it to them. And then they're walking around in the office like, I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. Look at me. I just made her so happy last night. No, you didn't. She did. She made herself very happy last night. You just happened to be a witness to it. Like we have to notice that that's, we're doing it to ourselves in that respect. So that definitely is like a holy shift moment for the audience. And like a lot more than that too. So that's, that's definitely a big one. And then I would say for me, a holy shift is as I'm talking about, you know, we teach what we need to learn and that's not a negative. That's a double, I'm passionate about this. So I'm going to learn everything about our own personal wage gap as I'm exploring my own. Because guess what? I'm not where I want to be either. None of us are part of entrepreneurialism. That's part of growth. That's part of pivoting. That's part of evolution and development. It's not a negative, And I really need to double down on that. It's not a negative. So I'm exploring my own personal wage gap. And like I said, I'm, you know, the example I shared before where I extended an invitation to a client and as the words came out of my mouth, I was like, you're doing it. It's too small. And then he mirrored back. He's like, you don't charge enough. And I was like, you're not wrong about that. But then it's not in that moment where, you know, I probably could have gone back and said, I'm going to double it. But that's just like, so out of integrity, I, I would not be able to sleep at night if I did that. But it's to notice where I'm allowing my own personal wage gap to show up um, in small ways and big ways, and then how I'm not going to shame myself into fixing it, but just acknowledge it. And then secondarily, it's looking at, you know, there's the money side of things. That's a very obvious situation I just shared where the wage gap is showing up, but it's in other ways. Where am I not having the big enough conversations, all the things I talk and teach about. I'm looking at that now through a hyper lens, a hyper magnifier for myself. Where am I not showing up having big enough conversations? Where is my ask not big enough? Where am I getting a little lax with my time? Where am I all consumed in thinking I need to be on, like I'm on vacation this week and I'm sitting at the beach yesterday getting completely fried and loving life. I will look like shoe leather in 10 years, but that's fine. I look amazing right now and I'm happy. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> at, you know, where am I sitting there on the beach beating myself up in my to-do list, but I'm not enjoying the present moment that I've been looking forward to for so long? That's my wage gap showing up. I'm not allowing myself to be, I'm constantly thinking I need to do, and that's creating a level of angst and anxiety. And that's denying myself pleasure. All of these little things I'm starting to notice, and those are, those right now for me are the biggest holy shifts. Where am I denying myself opportunity to really live and be and do and enjoy so that when I am on, 
I'm not running this, you know, baseline of being on all the time. I'm like, I'm off and I can enjoy and listen to the waves and then I'm on and I can double down, make the phone calls and then I can step away. And to me, it's that time currency um, and that energy currency that goes into that time of where my wage gap is showing up. And that's a big holy shift for me right now is just really working through what is my relationship with the four currencies that I talk about time and I use the acronym temp, time, energy, money, and people. Where am I on those four currency buckets and where do I need to shift what I'm putting into some so that I can fill up some others? That's amazing. And I think what you described is basically that you are living a more conscious life, like in all forms, yes. you know, professionally, personally, and, and really taking time to assess uh, just like you said, you know, is this the right thing for me to do? Do I feel guilty about this? Am I should? Is this really what I want? You know, very authentic, you know, live, work, play, which is basically what we uh, practice, what we preach on is like how to be um, more conscious of that and inspire others to take action in that uh, on a whole nother level. You know, I think all of us have been playing small. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about as well, is that we're, we're just playing way too small um, while yes. at the same time asking so much of ourselves that we just can't be at our best. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in terms of like, in terms of what you're doing now to like live, work and play on a whole nother level, like what ways are you doing now, doing that now in your life? Like what, you know, like, let's say you know, from the way you ended last year to now, like what big leaps have you taken or what small things are you doing um, to make sure that you're doing that going forward? Yeah. So a big leap. So last year I started the sales school for entrepreneurs and that was a way for me to be able to scale and help more people because selling with service is all about helping more people, help more people. Um, So I started the sales school for entrepreneurs as a way for me to be able to help more people um, get all the content out of my brain, get it recorded in this container. And then the goal from that was to scale it. And once I got all the information out of my head, how the universe always supports you, you don't always like it, but it supports you. Once I got all of that out of my head, that's when the pivot really started to come clear. And that's when I really realized this is not the work I'm meant to be doing anymore. It's now recorded. It's there. It lives there. Um, but now I can really move forward. So part of this, you know, how I'm living on a whole other level is allowing that part of my journey, just like I put the web design business to bed. Maybe it is putting selling this version of selling with service to bed. Maybe, you know, and and that's definitely what it's looking like. So not enrolling in the sales school for entrepreneurs anymore, closing that down, having the conversation with the students who were enrolled. Some of them were like, that's cool. We got what we needed. We're good. They've got access to the content. They need to go back to it. Others were not happy. And uh, they've decided to work with me at a different level, knowing that I'm in a transition, being very transparent with them, which is amazing, right? I mean, it's a beautiful thing when you tell a client, I'm closing down and they're like, no, you're not. Like that was just a really nice (laughs) experience to have. Um, So kind of closing that down just so that I can step in to whatever this next big thing is. And that's really how I'm going to live life on a whole other level because I know through my experience that when I deny the calling of the universe, it will drop a tree on my car while I'm driving on the highway, which it's done before. It will suck me out to sea in a riptide, which it's done to me before to say you're drowning, you know? So I know that if I don't respond to the subtlety of the universe, the little nudges, the little ideas at three o'clock in the morning, the constant what if, what if, what if, if I don't respond to that, the universe will make sure that I do. And it's never a pretty situation. So I was listening to, you know, the nudges. And again, I've been through enough pivots to where I can kind of energetically sense it early and often. 
And just for those who might be in kind of the spiritual realm or tapped into the sensations of your body, like it could, for me, it comes into just like, and I can feel it right now. It's like a very light, it's almost like a buzz. I swear to God, it's almost like I'm just sitting here right now and I feel like a little buzz in my body, not my brain. So my brain is clear, but it's like a little buzz going on throughout my body. And that's how I know like it's calming, I'm vibing, it's good. It's when I get really excited that I'm probably in wrong energy. It's when I get that pit in the stomach that I'm definitely in the wrong energy, but I'm noticing those little things. So closing the sales school for entrepreneurs I don't talk about the depths of pivots while I'm in it because there's always a veil of uncertainty, but maybe if we check back in six months or a year, I'll be able to share like what this transition is that I'm in right now. But it is part of the birthing of, excuse me, ma'am, your wage gap is showing and knowing that there is a pull to a bigger platform and a bigger underlying message and obviously a bigger business model or a different business model. But it's really allowing myself to move through into the next version of so that I can show up in a more meaningful way and that I'm allowing myself to step into not a different game of small, but I know I'm being led and pulled into something much bigger. And let me just tell you, this pivot, this cocoon, this, I refer to it as like a car, like 2019 for me was a car wash, right? I was, I went through the car wash and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to come out clean on the other side. Think about what a car wash is. It is a brutal process. You're, you're getting scrubbed and the heat and the bubbles and the, you know, everything you're getting blown in all different. It's a horrible thing to just, and you're on this belt and you have to go with the speed that it's taking you through. Like you can't rush through a car wash. It's not going to get you fully clean. January was like coming out of the car wash. And now I feel like 2020, I'm like coming out squeaky clean, like a little bit like what the hell was that? But here I am so that I can move into this bigger thing. But a lot of people want to rush through the car wash or deny it. And they're like, I'll just wait for, you know, a little sun shower to come through and clear me off. Does that make sense? I love that analogy. I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe the process like that, but it's actually even the visual in my head. I'm like, it's grimy. It's, you know, it, it, what it does is it makes you uncomfortable, you know? And I think that's where the, that's where the breakthroughs come through, you know? And like you were talking about the gut feeling of, is this vibing or not? I think especially as women, we have a tendency to throw that voice away. Yeah. We want to be in our minds, you know, way too much. I think a lot of my power, at least in the last few months, has been that lead with your heart, go with your gut, and, you know, you really can't go wrong. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to get some scrapes along the way, but in the end, the payoff is there. Yeah, and I don't think people talk enough about the, they talk about, you know, the moment when things shifted for them or that, you know, oh, I couldn't go to the ATM because I didn't even have $20 in and, you know, those like sound bite moments. But I don't think any people talk about the brutality of the transition and, you know, that I've got a bankruptcy under my belt. And this is why I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. (laughs) I'll help you make some more, but I'm not the one to tell you what to do with it. But I don't think people talk about the realities of the transitions and the cost of the transition um, and letting go of the familiar so that you can step into the bigger next version of the next purpose. Because the time is going to go by anyways. The market is going to shift. Buying patterns will shift. And if you're committed to holding on what was, T.D. Jake says it perfectly, when you hold on to your history, you do so at the expense of your destiny. And if I had held on to that web design business, I'd still have clients. 
but I would be miserable. I wouldn't like the work that I'm doing. I wouldn't like the technology. I would feel out of alignment with myself. And that is where the soul death happens. That is a non-negotiable line for me. I will not do that. I've been there in an abusive relationship. I've been there in toxic jobs. I will never, ever, 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 ever go back to that. I will face another bankruptcy before I ever go back to living in that depth of hell again. That's a that's a good way to look at it. Because I was just thinking about non-negotiable too, because I don't think, especially women, um, really think about what their non-negotiables are in life and in business. Like, what, what do you consider your top three, you know, since you brought that up? I would say, like, I'm thinking of, like, dating and the last train wrecks that I was involved. Nice people. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say, like, like communication is a non-negotiable for me. Like, you know, we say to our kids, like, use your words. Like, we have to say to grown men, too, use your words. So I would say communication is an absolute non-negotiable. So I'm not going to be in a situation with anyone ever where there's a lack of communication or a shutdown of communication. That's that's a non-negotiable for me. Words are words are too powerful. Um, I would say another one is that it has to feel good. It has to feel good. And for me, my dominant currencies, again, the time, energy, money, and people, for some, that means that they need to have financial security to feel good. I wish I was one of those people, but I'm not. I need to feel good energetically. I need, I'm need. i a soft currency person, energy and people. I know that about myself. I can beat myself up. But to me, I have to feel good in what I'm doing. And that's a non-negotiable for me. If it feels out of alignment, the universe has already proven to me we will make sure that you get the message that this is out of alignment. So I know for myself, the non-negotiable is it has to feel good. And that doesn't mean that I'm like pleasure seeking at all times and like getting drunk at, you know, 9am. Like that's not what I mean. It's not irresponsible to that obvious extent. It does mean though, that I'm not going to do something for the money, you know, like sales school, sales school started to feel really off for me. And I felt like I was going to be bringing people into a situation that, you know, and when you're coaching and training people, it's a very intimate environment. And I felt like I'm bringing people into something that I don't believe and agree in anymore. And that's a bigger out of alignment than, than I can personally stomach. And that's a non-negotiable for me. Did that cost me money? Yeah. Am I, you know, suffering from that to an extent, but I would rather live out of financial integrity, if you will, than bring then sell people something that I don't believe in anymore, if that makes sense. So that's, that's another, that's, that would be number two. And then the third, so communication, I'm writing these down because this is actually a good exercise for me. So thank you for asking the question. <laughs> and the third one says, communication is the first one has to feel good. And I would say the third is, this is probably one that I'm really stepping into and maybe pushing myself on the most right now, but a non-negotiable is um, it has to have some long-term to it. Like I said, you know, getting drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning, like, yeah, sure, maybe that feels good in the moment for those that it does. But like, how is that going to serve the greater good? So like a long term, greater good kind of altruistic component. It can't just be about me, me, me. How is this helping anybody else other than just me? So like those, I would say, would be three really big non-negotiables for me. I love it. And I'm going to do the same exercise because I think this is an important um, teaching moment for all of us to think about what our non-negotiables are. And I I think to sum it up, you know, in terms of like, you brought so much value in this call. Like I'm, I'm mind blown Thank about you. the many mic drops that have occurred during this conversation. But, you know, ultimately it's like, you know, think about, you know, I challenge our audience and our friends to think about, you know, what are you doing to step into your power and what you're not doing to stepping into your power and how can you pivot back? How can you up level your life, your work? You know, where are you playing small? What ways can you 
take a different look at something that you might have been stuck on, you know, and what what new perspective can you provide? Because I think that one that one shift, you know, like we talk about the holy shift can really just open up a whole nother level of living or a whole nother uh, level of serving. And, you know, what you're talking about ultimately is come from a position of authenticity, knowing who you are, knowing what you will not tolerate um, in your professional and personal life. And how will you serve the world in a, a positive way where relationships are not just transactions? So yeah. I think from a sales and marketing perspective, I think a lot of us get caught up in that. You know, we all worry about bills. We all worry about stressors. Um, but but I have always believed that if you come from a place of serving, that the reward will come. Um, and I think yeah. you've proven that with your career, especially. Um, is there any last words you want to share with your audience? And I want you to tell everybody how to find you on social. They've got to follow you. I, yeah, definitely. I'm so just, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm under, I'm under my name, Liz Detterer. Um, but I would say the last thing I would say is about stepping into your power. I think it's really important definitely to find the thing that you're best and most brilliant at, but you do that by experiment and, and adventure. So I would say part of, you know, stepping into your power is also with love and kindness to yourself acknowledging what you're not great at. I am great at tidying the house. I'm not great at cleaning it. That's just not my jam. I will tidy it and I will, you know, make the bed and do that sort of thing. But like the floors, the, you know, that sort of, I want someone else to come in and do that because that's not my best. And that's one example of, but, you know, stepping into our power can only be done. Think of, think about what you, you, you dump water on a, a desk it's going to go everywhere because it's, it's not focused and confined. But if you condense that same amount of water through a straw and you blow on one side, you know, same amount of force that it might take to dump a glass upside down, you put that through, you know, your mouth and blow through a straw, that water is going to go a lot further faster and a lot more focused. And I think that the tighter that we put some constraints around or barriers or guardrails around what we're best at, it allows this whole other ocean to open up of all the things we're not good at and be okay with that. I'm just great at this thing. It fits through a straw. That's all that I'm great at. These other things I can do, but I'm not great at them. So yeah, I can step in and get it done. I can clean the house. It gets cleaned. It, it, it does, but I'm not going to open a cleaning business. That's crazy. I would not enjoy that at all. So I think stepping into our power is as much a result of us finding out through adventure and example and finding out what we are great at, but it's also acknowledging with love and no shame, uh, with kindness to ourselves that I'm not great at that thing and being okay with that. And that, that creates that funnel, that creates that straw so that we can move forward with a lot more focus. And when we do that, our impact is exponential. Oh, I love it. Well, let's leave it there. I think that that is a great way to conclude this show. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to checking in with you in a couple of months to see how everything is evolving. This is Penthouse Thinking. Penthouse Thinking. Open up the door. Now you're on the top floor. This is Penthouse Thinking. Penthouse Thinking. Open up your mind and get on the grind. Thanks for listening to Penthouse Thinking with Bambi Weevil. Make sure to visit our website, penthousethinking.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.